0: It's never the wrong time to make a career change. On this show, we'll introduce you to one young lady who's made a really interesting one. Plus, it's never too early to start talking about the Kentucky Derby. We'll introduce you to this year's class of newly minted three-year-olds and who stood out so far. We'll have all that and more on the first 2018 edition
1: of In the Gate.
2: They're in the gate.
1: They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate.
2: It's a head-bobbing finish!
0: This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at babramsvoice Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, the iTunes Store, and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Let's face it, quite a few people go through a midlife crisis of some sort. You see 40 or early 50-somethings buying motorcycles, fancy cars, or sometimes switching careers to something more rewarding than what they had been doing. Stephanie Vetter is one of those people. She had a perfectly boring, unfulfilling job, catching bad guys like illegal aliens and human traffickers, for the Department of Homeland Security. You know, the type of job where you'd just watch the world go by. Stephanie Vetter retired from that job a couple of years ago at age 50. She had a government pension, which is a good thing to have, but little idea what to do next. So, she packed up her two teenagers, and dog and cat and horses, and headed south from Alaska down here to the contiguous 48 states in search of a new challenge. And we'll let Stephanie Vetter take it from here as we welcome her to In the Gate. So, you retired from Homeland Security. You woke up one day and thought, what?
3: <laughs> well, I saw, I knew I was going to be retiring. And so, about, you know, a year to six months prior, uh, uh, pre retirement, I got to start thinking, what am, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm only going to be 50. That's really too dang young to be, you know, hanging it up and, and sitting on a couch. And when I was a kid, I had always wanted to be a jockey. And it was just one of those things that absence of growing up in a, a racing industry and no internet at the time, there was no way to research anything. I just, there, that opportunity, I just couldn't get a hold of it. So it was kind of like one of those things that's like, oh, that's really cool, but, you know, that's never going to be something I can get. So I ended up, you know, winding my life around and in falling into law enforcement, which is then where my career path took me. And when I got up to retiring and went, wait a minute, I wonder if there's an age limit on being a jockey. So I started Googling it, couldn't find one. And that's when I tripped across the uh, website for the North American Racing Academy here in Lexington.
0: By the way, are, are there any stories that you're allowed to share about your days in law enforcement?
3: Oh, sure. I, yeah. You know, I, I've had a couple of good ones. I had a couple of very interesting cases. One in particular was a human trafficking case in Alaska in the year 2000. There's a few strip clubs up in Alaska, and one of them is called the Crazy Horse, and we noticed there was, a, they put signs out to advertise, you know, what kind of girls are going to be there and whatever. They said, you know, fresh from rough Russia, you know, girls on these nights. So, of course, some of the guys in the office were kind enough to go check out the scene.
1: <laughs> Somebody has beforehand. to do
3: it. <laughs> Somebody has to do the dirty work, right? And sure enough, you know, we saw these girls up there dancing. And, and so we did a little bit of research and discovered that, that they were probably here on tourist visas, which didn't allow them to be employed. So we got that we had only to set some status violators. All right, no big deal. So we went in and arrested them. Went in with a group of us and arrested the girls. there were seven girls, but we arrested I think four out of the seven. And then as as we started kind of unfolding you know, some of the facts and stuff of how they got here and what's going on, we kinda of went, Huh, something seems a little off and started thinking about Human trafficking, because there was also a gentleman there watching them at the strip club, and we thought that's really kind of odd. And it turns out there was four people involved that had gotten that conspired together to get these girls over here. And one of them was a local from the Alaska. One of them was from Russia. One of them was from Atlanta, but he was a natural. He was a Russian citizen, but a naturalized U.S. citizen living in Atlanta. And the other one was the local's uh, wife. So as things unfolded, we eventually kind of got the girls to fess up to what was really going on. Turns out that they were brought over here to be, they were said to be brought over here to be culturally dancing. And it turns out they were coming They were brought over here to strip in the strip clubs for money. And these guys would take, you know, the proceeds. And we did ended up end up getting uh, convictions on three out of the four. Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting case for sure.
0: How do you transition from doing something as crazy as that to fulfilling a childhood <laughs> dream of being a horse racing jockey?
3: Well, that's been interesting too. <laughs> I at least have a background in horses. I've, I owned horses in Alaska. I still own horses now. Just uh, not thoroughbreds and nothing to do with racing. So at least I had the familiarity of dealing with horses and understanding them a little bit, which is which is a great background to have going into the school. Although there's quite a few kids that, that come into the school that, that have no background whatsoever in horses. Um, it just really helps a lot. So, you know I thought well why not I'm gonna I'm gonna go down there and try this even if I just make it to the school this is heck of a you know bucket list thing for me to check off and it ended up selling my home up there and, and packing everything and selling everything else and uh, loaded up uh, my I brought two horses down here with me loaded up two horses uh, brought my two kids a Dog and a cat, and we trailered down from Alaska through Canada uh, all the way to Lexington, which was quite an adventure. I'd done the trip driving before between Alaska and the lower 48, but I've never done it on my own, nor had I ever done it calling horses. So we ran into a couple of interesting obstacles, but overcame them and, and made it and got into the school, started, you know, started up with the school, and just everything has just been like a whirlwind since.
0: When you decided to try racing out, what did you know of the struggles for women trying to get involved as jockeys or trainers?
3: Well, I suspected there was, you know, it's because in law enforcement, it's kind of the same thing. It's it's still a man's world, uh, even though women have and are still breaking into it more and more. But it is a struggle. There's a lot to overcome. Uh, when you're doing it and you have to have some, you gotta have some thick skin. You, you can't be thin skin because you won't make it. You, you gotta be a little tough. And just to understand that those hurdles will be there and just keep pushing forward. Lots of women before me have broken through that wall in a much, much harder way and made it possible for women to be in the sport and then the other thing for me, too, was my age. Uh, I'm 52 years old, and that is an way old age to be jumping into something like this. Which, like I said, I was like, well, why not? <laughs> What's the most that can happen? Everybody can just say no.
0: <laughs> what was it like when you were sitting with classmates who were probably a little older, but probably not much older than your children?
3: Oh, my instructor is the same age as my oldest daughter. <laughs> so, <laughs> it really wasn't very weird. I felt comp- that my class was amazing. The kids in my class just accepted me like any other student, um, treated me like any other student, but yet on the same hand, respected me for uh, my place in life and how old I am. Matter of fact, they called me Mama Steph and often (laughs) brought to me when they needed a mama around and which worked out well (laughs) because I happened to know how to do a little bit of a mama ink too. But no, if that that part itself worked, that was absolutely not a problem. It it was, it worked really well. Everybody was kind and considerate and compassionate. And I didn't, you know, I got in there, I made sure I was in shape and could keep up with everybody and, and do everything and pull my weight and, not have any, get any uh, perks because of it or, you know, like little cheats because of my age. No, I had, to, I had to get in there and do everything everybody else did.
0: Stephanie Vetter, an almost graduate of the North American Racing Academy, joins us here at In the Gate. But even before that, I mean, what sense did you get about whether you'd be admitted or not?
3: Well, that's the part I, I wasn't sure about when I first started researching the school. I reached out to the uh, program, the program manager, the instructor Dixie Hayes, and sent her emails and stuff, and, and inquired, you know, can I get, in, can I go to this school? Am I too old? What, you know, is this something I could do? And she's like, Oh, you you can enroll. You enroll in the program. Here is what you do, and this is the steps you take. And I thought, well, you know, I'll do it because if I don't the answer to this question of could I ever do this or would I ever do this will be no. But if I try it, it still may be no, but at least I tried it. So she enrolled me as a normal student, went through the process as a normal student, and didn't even blink an eye to the whole thing.
0: Now you said you owned horses. What familiarity did you have with racing?
3: Nothing. I didn't know anything about the thoroughbred industry at all. Uh, the horses I have were pleasure horses, you know, Western gaming horses, uh, trail riding, that kind of stuff. Just having horses in itself is, brought me some familiarity as is, is to just a horse and how they, how they act and how they speak to you and what, they, what they're doing, which helps a lot while you're in the school. But I had to learn about the horse racing industry from the bottom from the very bottom. I mean, I knew horses ran in a circle and that was about it. <laughs> uh, so uh, so the school really was very wonderful about that. They they teach a huge range of topics in within all the classes and the hands-on about everything from grooming to bandaging to tacking to nutrition to uh, lameness and medications, everything they can think of, how a barn runs, how to clean a stall, how, how the, what a breeze is, what a two-minute lick is, everything. So the school was very comprehensive about that kind of stuff, which for somebody like me and for a lot of these kids going into uh, this type of industry without any background whatsoever, they do a really good job covering, covering a lot of bases.
1: Now, I
0: read that you had a second motivation to sign up for jockey school. Uh, what can you tell us about that?
3: Yes, I am an alcoholic. I've been now four years sober. And part of the motivation to, to sign up for the school was that my, when I was reaching the worst point of alcoholism. And I'm, I'm sure some people uh, completely understand what I'm talking about. You, you get to a point where life is, you're in such a deep hell. You have just no, there's nowhere to turn anymore. And I got to the point where I tried to take my own life, which obviously didn't work. So I, I kind of woke up and went, you know, I'm not supposed to even be here. So every single day is a free day. I get to do whatever I want for that day because it's just it's free. It's a brand new free day. And so that even held any reservations back, completely took them off the table for for trying this. There was there's no fear of failure because I've already succeeded. I've already made it to the point of taking the step to do this. And that was a success. And then actually going through the process of all the stuff I had to do to get here was a success. And then getting to the school and starting the school and making it through the classes were all successes. So it's just, it's kind of like the the ball got rolling and once the ball got rolling, it was like a snowball that just got bigger and bigger. So that definitely had an impact. I think I would have maybe done this anyway, but definitely recovering and seeing light, life in a different light and, Pulling myself out of that depths of hell that addiction puts you in, it's, it's just, it's kind of undescribable.
0: Well, I don't, I don't want to come across as being trite, but you probably know or have seen soldiers and other people who have mental health trauma who use horses as a means of rehabilitation. We've documented that on this podcast before. Has one had an effect on the other? Has becoming a jockey, the training of it, helped you sort out your personal life?
3: Oh, I would say absolutely. Definitely. Just the challenges and the hurdles and the obstacles, all of it has helped, helped me incredibly sort things out and figure out what I want to do and where I want to go and not to be afraid to try anything. And just do it. I mean, just do it. The answer will be no if you never try. The answer might be yes and might be no if you do try. My son, he was in the Marines and he was spent some time over in Afghanistan and is dealing with PTSD. So I absolutely have an understanding of the, the, the conflicts that he's dealing with and what he's going through. And he doesn't use horses as his therapy, but he uses a dog, which... To me, there are you know an animal is you know, any of the animals whatever animal you can find to fit that that need of that comfort when you're dealing with stuff like that is, is vitally important. There's just something about horses that have a, a very therapeutic, relaxing, calm. I can't even hardly describe it what it is for somebody that is dealing with a lot of mental issues or mental distress.
0: Well, I've seen pictures. You are in killer shape, uh, age notwithstanding. So, therefore, what are your goals here, realistically?
3: Well, there's there's a combination of realistic goals and my dream goals, and I have to kind of play the two out to see how they how they match up. Realistically, I do have those big hurdles of age and my sex and all that stuff. So. I would still love to be a jockey. I will never, I'll never wipe that off the table, but I have got a long way to go. I am a brand new rider in the thoroughbred racing industry. I'm switched over from 40 years of muscle memory of riding a Western horse into getting on an exercise saddle and riding a thoroughbred around the track to the vastly different way of riding a horse. And so I'm, the school gave me the basis of how to do that and what what I'm supposed to do, but I'm at the, you know, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole of learning. I still have a lot of learning ahead of me. So I'm going to need to get out on horses and exercise ride uh, as much as I can and see where it leads me. You know, if I, if it will take me a few years and my body can stand up to it, maybe I'll take that next jump and see if somebody will, you know, give me a hand on getting my gate card and uh, getting into some racing and see how that goes. So everything is really very open. I keep my future very open because anything can change in a second. Anything can happen in, in a very short time. I could lose my physical ability completely. But then the rest of the thoroughbred world is open to me. There's tons of stuff to do in this racing industry. So my, my realistic goals and my dream goals are combining, and they're floating out there. Nothing's off the table but i realize i have i'm at the bottom of the totem pole i'm starting from the beginning and i've got to pay all my dues and do the work i need to do and we'll see uh, we'll see where it goes
0: well bill shoemaker won the kentucky derby at 54 years old and he never hauled in baddies in alaska so there's no <laughs> reason to say that the same can't happen for you and we certainly wish you the best of luck stephanie better thank you so much for a few minutes here on the podcast
3: Well, you're so welcome, and so thank you for having me on. It was very much my honor.
0: We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, it's time to start talking about the Kentucky Derby for the first time in 2018. Bobby Halt will be here to help us sort out who the players are so far, So don't go away. Welcome back to the In The Gate podcast. It is never too early to start talking about the Kentucky Derby, at least this year's Kentucky Derby. It might be early to talk about the 2019 race, but for 2018, some of the players are starting to take shape. One of them is Bolt D'Oro, and Bolt D'Oro, even though he didn't win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, is still considered, I think, by wise guys to be the leading candidate to win the kentucky derby having won the delmar futurity and the front runner but there are a lot of other players who are starting to take shape so now that we've newly minted these horses as three-year-olds on january 1 let's get you set for what's coming down the road
2: Bolt Doro charges into the lead from take the 101. They're followed by Solomini, well clear of Zatter and encumbered. But Bolt Doro is forging clear. This is a high caliber cult. We're witnessing the emergence of a star as Bolt Doro treats his rivals to a comprehensive walloping in the front runner. Scores by seven lengths.
0: And for the first time this year, we welcome back our good friend Bobby Halt, who operates the New York Hotlist handicapping service here to In the Gate. So Bob, Boltioro didn't win the Breeders' Cup juvenile. Chad Brown's good magic did, but do you still think Bolti Oro is the favorite so far to win the derby?
1: I think it's a very even question. I mean, I'll be frank, I'm not among the wise guys. I'm more impressed with good magic than I am uh Bolti But certainly Bolti Oro had a bad trip. I don't think you saw the Bolti Oreo that was visible in the other in the first three races before that. But I'm still not sure if even without a troubled trip, he was going to beat Good Magic. I mean, I think I think Bolt DiOrio certainly has the potential to move forward and be a top contender. But I think you also got to be very impressed with Good Magic, who he was a maiden, but he wasn't your typical maiden. His first time out, he lost to a, a very high, a highly regarded Todd Fletcher, first-time starter, who he then beat. In the next two times, they raced against each other, which I think is important to show. That horse didn't go forward. Good Magic did. I think the fact that Good Magic went out west, beat Bolti Oreo on a track that Bolti Oreo had experience over and had won over, and did the traveling, went to the other guy's home court and beat him, that tells me he's a very good horse. I certainly think when you're going to look at your derby contenders, you got to have Bolti Oreo in there, but I don't think you can have, no matter how you feel, I don't think you could have Good Magic too far behind him either.
0: You mentioned Todd Pletcher, and he did win the Derby in 2017 with Always Dreaming. He also had Taproot to win the Belmont, but it was a pretty quiet year for Todd Pletcher. The early signs are it will not be a quiet 2018, at least on the Triple Crown Trail. He seems to be loaded with a bunch of maiden winners like Montauk, Noble Indy, uh, and a couple of others. What sense have you gotten from Pletcher's contingent so far?
1: Well, I think you certainly have to respect them because, you know, this is almost a very similar uh, scenario as in last year. Last year, his top two-year-old was Syndergaard, the horse named after the Met pitcher who really couldn't go much beyond a mile. But that was his top two-year-old. Then all of a sudden, you start seeing horses like Tapred, like Always Dreaming, and others coming into the picture. So certainly as much as those horses are unproven uh, that you mentioned, I would not be surprised to see them thrive and become top contenders through races like the Holy Bull, the Florida Derby. Uh, certainly, if you, you you cannot write off Todd Fletcher at all uh, when it comes to triple crown races, especially the Derby. You know he's going to be there. Does he win it? That's a different story. But you know he's going to have contenders. And certainly, uh, I think those horses you mentioned are certainly ones that you got to watch and respect.
0: And even quieter, Spring, anyway, was bob baffert last year who had a horse that was considered to be a triple crown threat in mastery who got hurt was off the trail and none of bob baffert's other triple crown candidates materialized he too comes in loaded with a bunch of horses that appear to be maybe a step behind bolt Dioral, but not far including solomini and mckinsey
2: McKinsey, blinkless for the first time, is being stoked up now. He's moving up out three wide. He puts his head past Shivermee Timbers and draws within the neck of the leader. They come to the quarter pole and it's all out blitz on the inside of McKinsey. McKinsey strides clear at the eighth pole, puts two lengths on all out blitz, four lengths away Shivermee Timbers with my boy Jack. But it's a domineering display by the ultra-talented McKinsey as he takes the sham while well in hand. In still regard, McKinsey. Now these two step into it with Solomini. Still a major player on the outside. Three of them coming down the lane. McKinsey. McKinsey just the leader. In still regard, between runners. Solomini there on the outside. A three-way driving finish in the fraternity. McKinsey, Solomini. In still regard, Solomini. Solomini wins. The Los Alamitos cash call fraternity McKinsey and Still Regard battling second and third. A long way to the others, ladies and gentlemen. Your attention, please. There has been a disqualification. The stewards have ruled that number three, Solomini has been disqualified from first and placed third for causing interference to number one in still Regard in the stretch. The new order of finish first five McKinsey, second one in Still Regard. Third three, Solomini.
0: And that was a really bang-up cash-call futurity, although, to be fair, Solomini lost to Bolt d'Oro over the summer by seven lengths. But these horses appear to be getting better. Is California the place to be again this year, as it's been in recent years?
1: Well, here's here's one of the key factors in that uh, to to bring out, I, I think, in looking at the California versus the East. And it can be reflected in what happens with Good Magic. Uh, Chad Brown, who trains uh, Good Magic, has has already said he's not too keen on running two prep races in Florida. He feels the Gulfstream Gulfstream Park track is very tough on horses, and he really doesn't want to prep two races over it. So he's probably looking to get a a race in probably in Florida first, and then he'll look at maybe the wood, maybe the bluegrass. So keeping that in mind with with horses uh, from the east, When you look out in the west the west might be a better ground to get the horses to the derby because of that that the santa anita del mar surfaces where they might train uh, are not as uh, are not as taxing on the horses so certainly i think that explains why you always seem to have baffert with great horses uh the other thing is he's a fantastic trainer so he's going to turn them in into real good race horses and uh salamini who you mentioned, yes, he got beat by Baltiorio in the forerunner, but then he came back and finished ahead of Baltiorio in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. He won the cash-call futurity. I, I talked to some of the, the people at the Ragazin, and they kind of liked the fact they thought the uh, uh, Los Alamitos futurity basically uh, had, came up with a good number, and I thought certainly Salamini, I thought he was the best horse. I don't think he deserved to come down either and be disqualified and place third. I think Salamini, the Zayat horse, is basically, I think that might be his best derby prospect right now, and uh, I think that horse has uh, has a really nice potential and certainly looks like the one I would watch, but to say with Baffert, he's at a point in his career where if he gets into the derby, that's fine, but has shown the last other two years with West Coast and Harrogate, if he doesn't, no problem, and by the end of the year, he might wind up with a three-year-old champion.
0: I also like the horse that finished second in that race, uh, the horse that was coming very hard at the end and the one that got bumped. Uh, I definitely would look at him. There's one other I want to mention here, and that is a horse by another trainer who has been hotter than a microwave oven and Steve Asmussen, a horse named Princip Guilherme.
2: And Principe Guilherme continues out in front, the Trinidad Patriot, now being ridden to assert. Princip Guilherme spins them in. Three quarters in, one minute, 13.48 seconds. The son of Tappet with all the money on. It's Princip Guilherme. And he is fleeing the scene, coming down toward the final 16th. Private die toward the inside. Battles United Patriot and Dark Templar. But close to home, it's Princip Guilherme. Princip Guilherme with a big, easy win. One by ten. He was much the best,
0: went right to the lead, never really in danger, ended up winning by about 11 lengths, a tappet colt. And I don't think we have to make any uh, great explanation about how hot tappet's been as a sire. Uh, Steve Asmussen could have another big year coming here. Have you seen Prancip Lerm at all?
1: Yeah, I think he certainly looks like an intriguing prospect. And, you know, certainly it's going to be interesting to see what kind of path Steve plots out for him and where he brings him forward uh as i say i think you know we're still at the stage where a lot has has to fall into place we're gonna see how do the horses like good magic and bolt diorio how do they handle that calendar turning and becoming three are they going to move forward aren't they some other horses like steve's horse there i I think he certainly looks like the horses could move forward and be and be a big contender but certainly he's got to show that he can class up with the big boys and i also think uh i'll give you another horse to watch who i think could be a good one uh, people might tend to forget about him because he didn't run well in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, but Furzine Fire is a horse who won the Champagne, uh, beating Good Magic. Now, Good Magic has shown he's a horse who seems to be on keep moving forward. Uh, Furzine Fire didn't run well at all in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, but uh, his trainer, Jason Service, felt the horse really wasn't at the top of his game. He was battling a fever through the trip to California. He's going to come back, and the key point here is You'd look at key races sometimes to determine where the good horses are. In the Champagne, you basically had Perzine Fire, who won the race, Good Magic, who was second. He came back and won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Horse who was third is a horse named Entice, a good dolphin horse for Kieran McLaughlin. He came back and won the Jockey Club stakes, uh, Kentucky Jockey Club stakes at Churchill Downs. So it looks like the Champagne was a pretty good race this year. He's the guy who won it. Maybe, as I say, he's a little bit under the radar right now, but he's to—he's on course to kind of prep into New York, and it'll be interesting to see how he develops.
0: Well, I have to definitely take a look at him, because I was in Firenze, or at least Italy and Israel, during the <laughs> holiday break, so there's a little bit of a there bias there. Bobby Halt of the New York Hot List Handicapping Service is with us, and of course, he's based in the East. You and I have both been to Belmont Park many times, and... Belmont Park is going to become a place of interest, not just because of the racing, but because there's now supposedly going to be a hockey rink built there for the New York Islanders, my hockey team. And while people in New York and in the hockey world have been, you know, doing cartwheels over this, that the Islanders are now going to have stability, have their own building, they've never had a building built for them before, I'm looking at it also from the horse racing experience. That arena and supposedly a bunch of retail shops around it are basically going to take up a lot of the backyard area at Belmont Park that makes that track experience so unique. It's really going to change the way the Belmont Park experience happens. What are your thoughts on how this is all going to work out?
1: I think it's really going to work out well. It's going to enhance the racing experience. Where The actual logistics of where where they build everything else is yet to really be determined and how far out will everything extend. If you look at plans that were shown at a public hearing, it kind of showed that the crowns are going to go out toward the paddock area of Belmont. But a large part of it basically now is in an area where there is a parking lot uh, that never really gets used except on uh, Belmont Stakes Day at Belmont Park. So I, I think they'll be able to comfortably fit the arena, Some shops, some hotels. I don't think it's going to be a massive uh, shopping area, but I think enough to keep people occupied before the hockey games, during races, after the races. And uh, let's throw another thing into this. In a couple of years, who knows? Maybe there's going to be sports betting allowed, depending on what the Supreme Court decides with the New Jersey case. So uh, you might be able to have a hockey game at the arena, a couple of furlongs away, inside a parlor at Belmont Park. You could sit back, watch it on the big screen, Uh, and bet on the game, bet on the in-game props and all the other stuff to make it a fun experience, but I think it's going to work out well for everybody involved
0: Well, as an Islander fan, I'm hoping that there's a huge logistical problem in June when the Islanders are playing the Stanley (laughs) Cup Final on the day of the Belmont Stakes. We can only hope that that comes to pass. Bobby Hall, thank you so much. We look forward to a warm Kentucky Derby season on a cold winter's night here in the East
1: You got that right
0: Our thanks to Bobby Halt and to Stephanie Vedder. It's certainly not easy being the guy who follows the guy, especially when the main guy is your dad. Jack Van Berg was the youngest child of a legendary father named Marion, one of the best the sport ever had. But Jack Van Berg carved out his path. He was first to 5,000 wins and his 6,400 still top five all time. He trained two champions, Gate Dancer and the immortal Ali Sheba, with whom Van Berg to dizzying heights would climb. But Jack Van Berg is also remembered for the people whom he mentored. He gave Wayne Catalano and Bill Mott their breaks. Van Berg raised tons of money for racing-related charities. He was best when people's livelihoods were at stake. Jack Van Berg was ahead of his time, with strings of horses based at multiple tracks as Wayne Lucas used to do. An innovator, great success, and mentor to the young, a combination seen in so very few. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, TuneIn.com, the iTunes Store, and that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry
3: Abrams. We'll see you next time.